So again, in the Psalms, we are going to be in Psalm 19 this evening. I'm going to read the whole Psalm. It's chopped up in three sections. Uh, More on that to come. So let's start by reading Psalm 19 the whole way through, all 14 verses. And then we'll start to break it down section by section. The heavens declare the glory of God. Give me one moment here, guys. Um, Okay. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. In them, he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. A familiar psalm, a beautiful psalm, broken up into three parts. Number one part is the natural revelation of God or creation, specifically the heavens the universe, the galaxies, our solar system with its center star, the sun. Uh, The second part is about the special revelation of God, God's revealed will in 66 books, though at the time this was written, not 66 books, still in progress of being written and canonized. But it's about the word of God, the special revelation of of the Lord. And then the third part is about application of the word. It's asking for forgiveness. It's asking God to reveal hidden sin. Um, it's asking God to allow the meditations of the heart to be acceptable in God's sight. So it's application, if you will, of the general revelation and the special revelation. C.S. Lewis, one of our favorite authors, uh, Chronicles of Narnia, Space Trilogy, Weight of Glory, Mere Christianity, and a host of other books, said this in the reflection of the Psalms. He said, I take this, this Psalm 19, to be the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. 
Now that that's something if I said that, but that's another thing if C.S. Lewis says that. He said, I take this to be the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. That's pretty remarkable. The heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim his handiwork. Glory there, that word in Hebrew is kabod and it means heaviness. It means weightiness. It means burden. So imagine uh, uh, an animal, a burden, carrying a heavy burden, carrying a, a kabod. It means reputation, importance, and splendor. So the heavens are telling us something about God's weightiness. His person has weight. His his glory has weight. Um, give me one second here, friends. Somebody wants in. Um, let me see if I can get them in. For some reason, when I screen share, I can't see my my mouse. So, friend, whoever you are trying to get in, I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't let you in. My apologies. All right. So, glory means kabod, heaviness, burden, reputation, importance, and splendor. And this is what the heavens or the galaxy, uh, our solar system, and in particular, next, the sun is proclaiming, it's telling that God is weighty and he's glorious and he's worthy of worship. The word there uh, for God is El, E-L, and it's the most generic name for God. It's It means creator and it's very general, which I think is helpful for this verses one to six on general revelation. It basically just means creator. It's not specific about God. And so the name used by David for God here is the general name for God, but it means creator as well. And so this is what we call general revelation. And it's general in that it goes out to everybody and anyone with eyes to see it. Those in Uganda can look up and see the glory of God in the skies. Those in Los Angeles can look up, well, maybe not from all the, the smog, but uh, maybe those in, in uh, I don't know, the Midwest, you know, very Northern Wisconsin, Pete, they can look up and they can see the, the sky clearly and, and see the glory of God pouring forth speech. Those in Alaska, you know, those in South America and Brazil, they can look up and see this glory of God. And remarkably, verse two says, day to day, it pours out speech and night to night, it reveals knowledge. There is a, a continuous speech happening by God's creation that is without words. It's telling of his glory. And it says there is not speech nor words whose voice is not heard. In other words, it, this general revelation transcends language barriers and everyone can look up and see it and they can see that God is glorious and powerful. Their voice goes out to all the earth and words to the end of the world. In them, he has set uh, a tent for the sun. Now, I, I want to drill in here for a minute on the sun. I I could spend hours and hours thinking about the sun, reading about the sun, listening to YouTube videos about the sun. Um, here, we have a few interesting sun facts that I think are, are very interesting. <laughs> the sun alone contains 
of the whole mass of the solar system. That's pretty remarkable. So our sun, sun, which is a yellow dwarf star, not the biggest star in the universe by any means, literally takes up 99.8% of our solar system. It's pretty remarkable. If you were to fill a hollow sun with sphere Earths, round Earths, you would fit somewhere around 960,000 Earths. Now, remarkably, if you squashed the Earths and, and made sure there was no wasted space in the hollow sun, you could fit 1.3 million Earths inside the sun. And you can see there in that graphic, we are the third rock from the sun there. And that is a model attempting to show you how big the sun actually is. We are tiny. You could, if you squash the earth down and you could have no air inside a hollow sun, you could fit 1.3 million earths inside of this star. Um, and, and I'll expand that in just a moment. In addition, the sun is traveling 1.36, that should say, uh, yeah, miles per second, 136.7 miles a second, friends, not, not per hour, per second. And it's traveling around uh, the Milky Way. Now, from David's perspective here, he sees the sun moving. It's traveling from the east to the west. But really what he's seeing is the earth ar revolving around the sun. But in addition to all of our planets and our solar system revolving around the sun, you also have the sun revolving around the Milky Way galaxy itself from the center. It would take the sun approximately 250 million years to complete orbit from the center of the Milky Way galaxy, traveling at 136.7 miles per second. <laughs> Our Milky Way galaxy is massive and the sun is massive. And interestingly for us, it takes eight minutes for light to reach us from the sun. So it takes eight minutes for light to come from the sun to the earth. And as some of you know, the speed of light in a vacuum is 186,282 miles per hour. Now, the reason it says in a vacuum is because when light hits any kind of particles or objects or water or um, you know dust from the atmosphere, it slows it down. This is why when you see a sunrise, and the, earth, the sun is coming up just at the horizon line. It, it, you see it distorted. Sometimes sunsets or sunrises, you come up over a hill and the, the sun looks like it's huge. And you're like, that's amazing. Well, what's happening is that the vision of it is from your perspective, traveling through all kinds of pollution and dust and dirt. And it's distorting the view of it. It makes it look bigger. Uh, and, and as it travels through all of the dust and the dirt, um, to get to us, it it changes the v the view of it, the vision of it. But anytime you look up and you see sunlight, you're seeing eight minute old sunlight. Now, the reason I, I think this is interesting, and let me go back to this uh, third rock from the sun graphic here. This is so interesting because our star, the sun, is only a yellow dwarf star, and it is one of billions of other stars in the galaxy. Now that's just the Milky Way galaxy. And some of you who've looked into this, you know that there are billions of galaxies, each themselves containing billions of suns, stars. 
Let me say that again. Our Milky Way galaxy itself contains billions of stars. There are estimated billions of galaxies, each themselves containing billions of stars. Our sun alone takes up, what was it, 99.8% of our entire solar system. Now, here's the question. How big does that make you, friends? Like, think about your smallness in comparison. And, and, and it's good to think of your smallness because one of the things that God is against is pride. Uh, we know this. The Lord detests pride. He gives grace to the humble, yet he opposes the proud. It is really helpful for you to imagine God's glory, his weightiness. Remember, his, his heaviness, his kabod, his importance, his splendor. In comparison to you, in comparison to what he has made, the, the magnificence of the universe Billions of galaxies, each themselves containing billions of stars, of which our little solar system, our star, takes up 99.8% of the mass. And you take up a very, 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 very 0.0000000. I probably can't even say enough zeros percentage of the mass of our little solar system. We are very small. God is saying something about his glory here in what he has made. What's he saying? He's saying, I am big. I am massive. I am uh, glorious. I'm weighty. Let me finish uh, this section and, and we'll move on. Which comes out, so this is the sun. The sun comes out like a bridegroom from his chamber. Like a strong man, it runs its course with joy. So the idea here in verse five is uh, a bridegroom, it's picturing a young man ready to get married. He's coming out, he's decked out, looking good. He's got all this energy, this nervous energy. He's about to take his bride. He's about to celebrate with all the most important people in his life. And he's, he's full of energy and vigor. Same with a strong man. Uh, young, strong men have energy. They, you know, they're, they're ready to run. I, I think of toddlers in this way, or like kids under 10 years old. Uh, Naps become a thing when you hit like after 16, you start appreciating naps. But before that, man, you try to take a kid to take a nap and they'll fight you, uh, you know, tooth and nail to, to not take a nap because the energy is just, it's just boiling out of them. Uh, so the idea here is, is the, the sun comes out day by day from David's perspective. It rises and then it sets, it rises and it sets. And it's, it comes out with strength. It comes out with consistency. It comes out with joy. It's rising, verse 6, is from the end of the heavens, and it's circuits to the end of them. There is nothing hidden from its heat. Now, you remember David was a shepherd who wrote this, and he spent many long days in the Middle Eastern sun tending to sheep. And we can imagine that David probably tried to hide from the sun often, as Jonah tried to hide from the sun under the plant that God made grow to give him a little bit of release, relief and shade. And so David knows probably something from experience about nothing being hidden from the sun's heat. It penetrates. It touches everything. It, it also is absolutely essential for life. Now, this part, I don't think David would know as clearly as we know. But without the sun's light, uh, there's no evaporation of the water. There's no water cycle. There's no plants 
able to grow. There's no animals able to eat the plants. There's no uh, filtration of the oxygen and the carbon. Um, so the, the sun is so essential to life that the ancients actually did worship it. And the, the, you know, the scriptures talk about the ancient Israelites being forbidden to worship the sun like the other nations. What's not happening here, David is not worshiping the sun. He is saying that the sun says something about God. Look, the heavens declare the weightiness or glory of God. He is not here necessarily worshiping. He is saying, look up at the sky and you should worship God because of what he has made. And there's no people on all the earth that can't see the glory of God in what he has made in the universe, his general revelation. Now, Romans Romans chapter 1 um, says the same thing here. Something interesting is happening with my computer. There it goes. So Romans 1, 18 to 20 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely, here it is, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Now, this is Paul applying what David here said in Psalm 19 to uh, pagan peoples. What can be known about God from this general revelation is that God is powerful, his eternal power, his divine nature, which is also the word he uses for God, El, uh, general name for God, the creator. But what we can't know about God is who he is, what he's like, what he expects, what he's done for us, what he thinks about human beings, uh, what what his character is like. We can't know any of these things from looking at general revelation. What we can see is, all right, he's powerful. He is brilliant. He, his mind is beyond what any human being can grasp. We can know some things about God from general revelation, but what we can't know is who he is, what he's like, his character, what he's done for us in the person of Christ. For that, we need special revelation. And this is Psalm 19, verses 7 to 11. So think about the last verse there. Um, He says, nothing is hidden from its heat. Okay, so David's talking about the sun. Nothing's hidden from the sun's heat. Well, in the same way here, the law of the Lord is perfect reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise um, the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much Uh, fine gold, sweeter also than honey, the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned in keeping them, there is great reward. Now we know from Hebrews that the word is living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of bone and marrow, soul and spirit, judging the thoughts and intents of the heart. The law of the Lord is perfect. And David here says, 
that the perfectness, it means this, blameless, without fault, free from blemish. So he's saying God's instruction to human beings is perfect. What does that mean, David? It means blameless, without fault, free from blemish. So we need to have, as Christians, this same view of the law. Now, the law condemns, and so that is a problem, which we will seek to resolve at the end of the message here. But for David, the law of the Lord is perfect. It's blameless. It's without fault. It's free from blemish. It revives the soul. Now, listen, friends, this word revive means this, bring back, return, turn back. Now, here's where we're going to start to make some application for you. So listen up, okay? <clears throat> to revive is something that we want, okay? We want our souls to be um, brought back to a state of refreshment, to be brought back to a place of life, to be brought back to a place of of happiness. And, and what David's going to do now is he's going to show what the benefits of the special revelation of God is, the law of the Lord. Making wise the simple, okay? Wise means to act wise, to become wise, to be trained, to be experienced. So he says that the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And so the Hebrew parallelism is in effect here. The law of the Lord is the same thing as the testimony of the Lord. The law is perfect. The testimony is sure. What's the word sure mean? It means firm, reliable, faithful, enduring, and permanent. So the law of the Lord is perfect without blemish, and it revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, which means it's firm, reliable, faithful, enduring, permanent. And what does it do? It makes wise the simple. Now, friends, we're all born into this world simple. We need wisdom. We need God to um, give us what we don't have, which is training, instruction. We need special revelation. We need the word of the Lord. Verse eight, the precepts of the Lord are right. Now, precepts is the same as the law and the testimony. He's just using different words. It's Hebrew parallelism. The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. Rejoice means merry, glad, to gladden, to cause, to be happy. So he's saying the Bible will cause you to be happy. It will cause you to be gladdened. What a great word, to be gladdened. Uh, to, to be merry. You know, we, we think of merry only in terms of Merry Christmas, but you can have a merry kind of life if you will, in a sense, stay in the word and let the word stay in you. If you will let the word of Christ, which means the gospel, dwell in you richly so that, as Spurgeon said, if you, if you cut yourself, you're going to bleed out Bible. If that's the person that is um, glad, merry, happy. Remember Psalm 1. Um, Happy, blessed is the person who meditates on the law day and night. The happiness is possible, but we have to have the scriptures. Next verse. Um, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Pure means clean, but it means clean in the sense of emptying out disorder. So empty, bright, it means clean, bright, to, to clean something out, to empty it, to, to take your dirty car to the car wash and, and literally fill up their big trash bag. Uh, that's what 
this word pure means. It means to clean something out. So this, this commandment of the Lord is pure. And what does it do? It enlightens the eyes. Now, I love this word enlightened. It means give light, illuminate, shine, become light. This is the idea uh, in Psalm 119 that says, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. We get enlightenment from the word of God. It shows us what we cannot know. Otherwise, God has revealed to us what he wants us to know. Verse nine, the fear of the Lord is clean. I love that. Clean means this, ceremonially clean, ethically clean, cleanse, purify. So, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. To endure means to stand before, to stand in position, to remain standing. So let's think about that. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. It stands forever. It's unmovable. It's like a mountain that is never going to be shaken. You might take little, um, you might shear pieces of a mountain off, uh, but you're not going to move an entire mountain. Even earthquakes just cause them to not crumble all the way, but maybe break off little pieces. And so in this way, the enduringness of the word uh, remains. It remains standing. It will stand for future generations. It's stood the test uh, of 3,500 years since Moses started with Genesis. Let's continue. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. True, that word means firm, trustworthy, constancy, duration, and faithful. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The word righteous means to be right, to be brought to justice, justified, or vindicate. So listen to the way David is just heaping um, praise on the revelation of God. Uh, It's It's clean, it's enduring, it's true, it's righteous, it's pure, uh, it's enlightening, it it revives, it's sure, it makes you wise. He is just, he's using a bunch of descriptive words to say, this is what the word of God is to us. Verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold, even much gold. Now, Um, this is an interesting exercise at any one point in time, you can go online and see what gold is worth per ounce. Um, on three, five, 21 Friday, when the markets closed, gold was going from $1,700 an ounce. That would be $27,201 a pound. Okay. Now think about what David just said there. Let me repeat that gold right now as we sit here and listen, is going for $1,700.10 an ounce. That's $27,201.60 a pound. But David didn't say it's like a pound of gold. (laughs) He said, more are they, the law of the Lord, the instructions of the Lord, to be desired than gold, even much, much fine gold. Now you think about that. He's saying this word is valuable beyond what you can imagine. So for a pound of gold, here's what you could get, friends, just to put it in a little bit of perspective. You can imagine having a little pound gold bar. Well, for that pound gold bar, you could trade in for a 2021 Chevy Camaro base model, base model Ford Mustang, and a base model Dodge Challenger, all under um $27,000. And for an extra 10 grand for 38, you could get a, a model three Tesla. But David is saying here, 
the word of God is more valuable than a pound of gold, which can get you those vehicles. Now, if you had 10 pounds of gold, that'd be $272,000 and 10. (laughs) And you could get a nice house for that much money in Pittsburgh, not in some cities, but in Pittsburgh, $272,000 will get you a pretty nice house. But David's saying here that much fine gold, I think he probably means more than 10 pounds of it. So imagine what David is saying here. And then I want you to imagine to yourself, what's more valuable to you? Like, could you throw the Bible away for a new Mustang, for a new Camaro, for a new Challenger? Could you throw the Bible away for a new 270 some dollar house? Is it that valuable to you? Because David says it's, it's more valuable than gold, even much fine gold. And I, I think that's pretty amazing. Now, here's, here's what wisdom's worth to the Proverbs, friends. Um, blessed is the one who finds wisdom. This is Proverbs 3, 13 to 18. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than the gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand and her left are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. So this is the Proverbs view of wisdom. Where do we find wisdom? In the instruction of the Lord, in the revealed will of God. And we have to, I think, get our minds to believe that this is actually true for us or we will not value it. We can tell that we don't value it because of how much time we don't spend in it. Okay, and, and my, my, my purpose here is not to condemn you. My purpose here is to take Psalm 19 and take what Solomon is saying here or has collected here in Proverbs 3, 13 to 18 and say, these men, father and son, believe something about the word of God that is hard for us to believe, that it is very, very valuable. And if it's very, very valuable, You will treasure it. You will spend time in it. You will ask for it to be opened up to you, which is what the Holy Spirit does. And you will spend time on it like it's valuable. Think about how much time we spend fixing up our house. Or if you're not kind of a fixer upper, how much money you spend up for other people to come and fix your house. (laughs) And and we, we spend time and money on what we see as valuable. And so friends, I want you to really take an assessment of your life and and say, how much time do I spend in God's word? And that will tell you how much you actually value it. You could say, yes, amen, David, more valuable than much fine gold. Amen, amen. But if you don't act like it, then that's just words. And maybe you're self-deceived in thinking you value it more than you actually do. And it would be helpful for you to realize that, which is why I'm saying it to you. I'm not saying it to you to condemn you. I'm trying to get you to see, maybe it's not as valuable to me as I think I think it is. (laughs) Because if you're not in it, if you're not spending time in it daily, 
meditating on it. Uh, you're probably not having the same view of it than David, where he says it's more valuable than gold, much fine gold. The next, um, the next illustration he uses is the honeycomb. He says sweeter also than the honeycomb and the drippings of the honeycomb. Now, uh, being that I was sick for the past two weeks, I have literally uh, consumed about a pound plus of honey in my tea. I'm just drinking tea all the day long. And for for us, we have such a wide variety of sweets. I mean, we can use pure cane sugar. We can use you know, non-pure sugar, the white kind. We can use agave nectar. We can use maple syrup. I mean, we, we have sweets beyond um, what we can purchase. You just go to Trader Joe and look at all the sweeteners. It's, it's unbelievable. But for the ancient Jew, they didn't have many opportunities to sweeten things. And so honey was one of the sweetest things that they could think of. It was one of the sweetest, if you will, things that nature produced. And they're definitely thinking of wild honey because he talks about the honeycomb and the drippings of the honeycomb. And so he's saying, to me, your law, your commands are sweeter than honey. The sweetest thing that I can imagine, your word to me is sweeter than that. Now, do do we think of the word of God as sweet, as something that we would desire to consume and it tastes uh, attractive to our taste buds? Or is it something that we see as only condemning? Yeah, you know, I, I had a friend one time, you know, I, I would like to talk to my friends about reading the Bible. I care, care for his soul. And, and I said to my friend, you know, brother, how, how, how is your Bible reading going? And he's like, you know, I'm, I just don't read it because when I read it, it makes me feel guilty. So I just don't read it. <laughs> and so what my friend was saying was, I don't want to feel guilty about the way I'm living. And so I'm just not going to be reminded that the way I'm living is displeasing to God. So I'll just suppress the truth in unrighteousness, Romans 1, and therefore I don't have to deal with it. But friends, that implies, that view of the Bible, that I don't want to read it because I just feel guilty, that implies that you think living a way contrary to the word of God is more beneficial than living in a way consistent or that lines up with the word of God. Your view of the Bible is skewed. You are rejoicing in things of much smaller weightiness. You have a craving for the lesser things is is what we could say. Now, we need the Holy Spirit to refine our taste buds and to help us to hate the things that we once loved and to love the things now that God says that we should. Now, I have... um, I have a few things that I would like to, to talk about here. Um, and I'm running out of time. So let's, let's move on. C.S. Lewis here in the reflection of the Psalm says this, the language of David here is the language of a man ravaged by moral beauty. If we cannot at all share his experience, we shall be losers. <laughs> I love the way Lewis just plainly says it. Like, look, This is a man who is ravaged by moral beauty. He sees the law of God as so attractive. It's moral perfection and it's beauty gladdens my heart. It makes me so happy to read it and to live it out. And Lewis is saying like, look, if you can't at all share his experience, 
you're going to be a loser. <laughs> and, and I love that. And maybe we need to be told that so that we might begin to shift our view of the word of God and the, uh, the precepts there. So think about this. You're either on the outside of the way David's speaking here in verses 7 to 11 of Psalm 19, or you're on the inside of the way David is speaking here. So imagine yourself, um, someone comes to you like me and says, hey, are you a Lord of the Rings fan? And I've had various people say, absolutely not. I've tried. I just can't do it. I can't get into it. You know, I fall asleep. Like, I just can't do it. And oh, Star Wars? How about Star Wars? Nah, I, I can't do that either. You know, I turn it on. It just it bores me so much. I've tried and I just can't. Well, for somebody who's on the inside of the Lord of the Rings crew or the inside of the Star Wars people, they could talk for hours about it. You know, but for those on the outside, they would see this talk as just boring. They're like, why, why would you waste your time spending four hours on a director's, you know, cut of this movie that just goes on and on and so, but just makes me want to fall asleep. You're on the outside. Okay. And I'm on the inside. I like the movies. I like Star Wars, but this is the idea here. If you're on the outside of what David is saying here, think of yourself that way. If you're like, yeah, the Bible, I just... I, it's not sweet to me. And honestly, I'd rather have the gold and it doesn't seem to be wise in my estimation. Friend, you have to realize that you are on the outside looking in. You are on the outside of the house looking through the windows, but maybe you think you're on the inside. We need God to radically change our hearts desires and what gives us pleasure and to literally change our motivations so that we can speak here like David, a man, as Lewis says, ravaged by the moral beauty of God's law. If we cannot share his experience, we shall be losers. Now, you, you guys know Martin Luther, the German reformer. He often had language that was strong, but his strong language here is helpful at this point. Luther said this, if God told me to eat the dung off the streets, not only would I eat it, but I would know it was good for me. <laughs> Classic Luther. What Luther is saying is he knows that God is so good that what he prescribes in his will is good for him, even if at the moment it tastes bad. And surely if Luther picked up some horse crap from the street, he would not be smiling while he chewed it. But what he's saying is, if God told me to eat the dung off the streets, not only would I eat it, but I would know that it was good for me. That is a man absolutely convinced that God's word <laughs> is true and helpful and beneficial and will gladden the soul. And <clears throat> as I look at you guys laugh, I can't help but laugh too. I'm sorry. Uh, glad you like that one. All right, let's move on to the to the last section of the psalm here. Uh, one more one more thing before we move on to the last section. I thought this would be helpful. One of the things, and I just realized it's R O A M A N S. That is not the correct spelling of Romans. Don't go looking for that book in your Bible. You won't find it. So, one of the things that you might miss from general revelation is you might get the wrong picture of God because there are some terrible things in general revelation, isn't there? There is death by wild animals. There is death by freezing. There is death by heat. There is hurricanes. There's earthquakes. There is typhoons. There are sharks in the ocean that love to eat people. There is a lot of bad 
that if you only had your view of God from general revelation, you would get a skewed view of God. But here, special revelation, book two, if you will, comes in to give us an understanding of why uh, book one is not the clearest picture. Let's read Romans 8, 19 to 22 together. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Those are God's sons and daughters. He's talking about the resurrection. The creation can't wait for the resurrection. For the creation was subjected to futility, meaning meaninglessness, uselessness, frustration, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So we know that the creation was subjected to futility by God, by curse, Genesis 3, and it is waiting to be let loose from the curse. And so we can tell from special revelation, Genesis 3, what happened to the creation. It's that we messed up and we were warned. And so God responded to our sin and cursed the ground. Thistles and thorns it will produce for you. By your sweat, you will eat bread from the earth. And now the creation itself is going to war against you. The weather, the animals, all of it. But we, we can't get that from um, general revelation only special. All right. Let's let's move on now to the last section. Whoop. Sorry guys. Try that again. There we go. Who can discern his errors? Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now, this is application of the general revelation, special revelation, to the soul. And so David's response here is who can discern his errors? Like we need the word of God to penetrate into our thinking and expose our wrong thinking. And he says, forgive me, declare me innocent from hidden faults. Now this is going to hurt a little bit, but I think this is beneficial. Friends, we all have hidden faults. Okay. And what I mean by that is other people can see these faults, but it's hard for you to see them. Okay? You definitely have hidden faults, hidden sins, hidden ways about you that other people can see and they can see that it's not beneficial to them. They can see that it's not beneficial really to you. But for some reason, you, because you're in your own body and you live out of this perspective, it's hidden from you. You can't see your bad attitude. You can't see your pride. You can't see your stubbornness. You can't see your easily angered self. Um, or perhaps you just excuse it away. Well, it's just the way I am. Never going to change. You know, I, I've tried to change that and it just doesn't change. And so it, the, the gravity of it, if you will, is hidden from you. 
we need God to forgive us of these, if you will, sins that so easily cling to us. But we also need him to reveal them to us so that we might turn from them. And listen, I guarantee you ask the closest people to you, your spouse, your coworkers, your neighbors, your parents, even those who are the closest to you. Hey, declare to me some of my hidden faults hidden to me. I guarantee you they would be able to tell you some of them. And if you were humble enough to receive their assessment of you, give them permission to tell you the way you really are, the things that everyone dances around and doesn't want to say, you might be able to overcome because the first step in turning from sin is you have to see it. You guys remember the the, the famous Paul Tripp um how do we change? And the first step is seeing it. You got to see it. And if you see it, then you can confess it. And if you confess it, then you can repent from it. And if you repent from it, then you can exercise faith in the promises of God to see it change. But if you don't see it, you can't confess it. And if you don't confess it, you can't repent. And if you can't repent, you'll never exercise faith in the promises of God to see it change. And so you'll never change. The first step is seeing it and it's hidden to you. I guarantee you they're there. And you need God to show you these hidden faults and you need other people to help you to see these hidden faults. And in part, this is why the body of Christ is so helpful. We don't like it when other Christians tell us our faults. In fact, we're very offended. How dare you? But really it's, it's a gift and a mercy that we would see sins and hidden faults so that then we can confess them so that then we can repent from them so that then we can see them change and we can become a blessing, not only to God, but a blessing to those around us as well. And so David in uh, verse 13 here says, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Presumptuous means arrogant, rude, lacking respect. Keep me from sins of arrogance. Keep me from sins of rudeness. Keep me from sins of lacking respect. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Now, if you if you meet a rude person, it's not hard to, to see that. If you meet a disrespectful, if you meet a disrespectful person, it's not hard to see that. When you come in contact with an arrogant person, it's not hard to see that. That's apparent to everybody except the person. <laughs> Often the person who is rude and arrogant and lacking respect, they don't see it. It is hidden to them. And so David is saying like, please, God, don't let me be that guy. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. That's what have dominion means. Don't let this rudeness, this arrogance, this lack of respect for other image bearers. Don't let me have this prideful disposition. Don't let that have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Now we have to turn this now to Jesus. The only way that we can be innocent and free from blame, free from great transgression is because there is only one who is blameless, innocent, and free from great transgression. It's only the Lord Jesus. And by grace, the special revelation of God, book two, shows us what he did for us. He lived perfectly according to this law of verses seven through 11. He loved the law with 
I want to say heart, soul, mind, and strength, but really he did. He quoted it all the time. He quoted it on the cross. He quoted it to Satan. He quoted it to Pharisees. He quoted it to the disciples. He was living by the word of God. If, if you would cut Jesus, clearly the Bible would bleed out of him, the Old Testament. And by it, he lived his life. He is the, if you will, the one of Psalm 1, the Psalm of, I'm sorry. He is the one who treasured the word of Psalm 19. He saw it as more precious than gold, much fine gold. He saw it as sweeter than honey. And friends, this is for us. This is how we can begin to take up a Psalm 19 and see it as for us. Because Jesus lived, he was this one in our place. And he died on the cross for us not being this person. This is how you can go to the law of God and find it as beautiful and as sweet and as more valuable than gold, even though you're not able to keep it because you know one has kept it for you and already been punished in your place for your not keeping it. And so you can say, God, forgive me for my inconsistency here when I read your word. Would you declare me innocent from hidden faults? Would you keep back your servant from presumptuous sins? Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of transgression. So what David didn't know is, is the, the length to which God would go to declare David actually blameless and innocent of great transgression. He would take David's sins upon him into his body on the tree. And the same is for you and I who know Jesus Christ. This is why with the perfection of Jesus on us, given to us as a gift, we can then go to the law of God and yes, see our errors. Yes, see our sins highlighted, but yet still see it as sweet and beautiful and gladdening the heart. We could say, God, I see my sin here in this text. Would you forgive me? And he will, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He wants us to say, be merciful to me, a sinner, and you will go home justified. This is what God wants. And this is the only way we can see the law of God in this sweet and beautiful way. We can see it making us wise when we are simple, only through the gospel lens. And this verse 14 to close is a great prayer for us. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, Oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That would be a great verse to memorize and to pray daily. Oh God, please let the words of my mouth, the words that I speak, let the meditation of my heart, let the things I think about all day before I go to bed, when I wake up in the morning, when I drift off during the workday, let those thoughts be acceptable in your sight. Let my thoughts be pure and pleasing to you. Oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now, what I failed to mention uh, was that this second portion, verses 7 through 11, uh, David uses the name of God, Yahweh. It's the, the God who reveals himself. He revealed himself to Moses in Exodus 3 at the bush. This is the God who reveals himself to us in the Old Testament as Yahweh and, and other names. But in the New Testament, as Hebrews tell us, in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son, whom he declared the heir of all things. And so, friends, we have so much clarity in these 66 books, so much more clarity than David had when he wrote this Psalm 19. We have the closed canon. We have God incarnate, 
died on the cross for us, resurrected, ascended, and sent the Holy Spirit. We have Psalm 119, if you will, in a greater fashion than even David did, because we have the same spirit in us who inspired David to write Psalm 19, 12 to 14. So we're going to end it here. My hope is that you are encouraged to be in the Bible. Uh, I, I know that it is already month three of 2021. However, it's not too late to start reading through the Bible in the year. If you have not done so, I want to highly encourage you to do that. Um, you will have to make up. So you might have to do double the reading for a little bit. Um, but friends, there is great, great value in going through the word of God verse by verse by verse. And let me just say this as an encouragement. There are days where the words will leap off the page to you and they will be like spiritual food to you and your eyes will be opened and your ears will be open and you will have a sense about you that God has spoken. And there will be other days where it's hard to concentrate on what you're reading, especially if you're in numbers reading through all the ites and all the family clans. It's going to be tough some days, but it's still the word of God. It's still sweeter than the honeycomb. It's still more precious than gold, much fine gold. The whole of it is the word of God and God sees it as good for your soul. And friends, let me just say, it will be very hard for you to meditate on it day and night and to have your words of your mouth and, and the meditation of your heart be acceptable if you're not in the word regularly. And by that, I mean daily. Okay. Now we don't want to treat this like a law by which we are righteous or unrighteous, but you're missing out on God's gift to you. If you are neglecting to go through the word and to meditate on it and to memorize it. All right. I'm going to pray. We're going to stop here and we're going to sing um, rock of ages together. It's a great gospel song to end with. And uh, I'm going to pray that God gives us a desire to read his word and to meditate on it and to be thankful for what he has revealed to us. And also to give us a greater appreciation for what he has made in his natural revelation. Book one, natural revelation. Book two, special revelation. Verses 12 to 14, response to both. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this word, this Psalm 19. What a beautiful, beautiful Psalm it is. Yet it reveals so much about your gifts to humankind, your image bearers. You've made the creation for us to look at and to learn about you. You have made the heavens and the sun specifically to bless your creation here on earth. Father, without the sun, we perish. And it's true that without your son, Father, we perish. Without Jesus, we perish. Father, we thank you for your word. It is a light unto our path, a lamp unto our feet. Father, we want to be warned by it. We want to be uh, instructed by it. We want to be made wise where we are simple. Father, give us a hunger and desire to read your word, to meditate on your word, to memorize your word. Father, to let it direct our path, to let it set our view of the world, even if it contrasts culture at every turn. Father, would we choose your word and your revelation over what is popular and what is uh, popping? Please help us. Father, I pray now that as we uh, go together through the Rock of Ages song, you would encourage us once again with the gospel, with our status as sons and daughters in Christ. Would you encourage our souls again? And would we go from this place together, motivated to find you in your word, to seek you and to seek to have your Holy Spirit apply your word to our lives. 
In Jesus' name, everyone said... Amen.